the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're observing the festival of St. Michael and all angels, so it gives us a chance to reflect on those things in the spiritual realm, especially the Lord's gift of angels, and we can reflect a bit on those things that the angels are protecting us from, and also how the angels go about that work of protecting us. But first, just a few things on angels. Uh, the, the once a year this comes around, it's nice to take a moment and, and kind of clarify what angels are according to the scriptures, because we're up against a very different picture often portrayed uh, in, in media and movies and things like that. So uh, it's nice to think through what angels uh, actually are in the scriptures. First, that, that they are created beings, that they are not little gods, uh, nor are they uh, people who have died and are now in heaven have become angels. But no, the angels were created as angels from the beginning, uh, somewhere between the first and the sixth day. The scriptures don't say on which day they were created, but they are certainly created there. And they are spiritual beings. That is, they don't take up any space in our physical realm. They do sometimes manifest themselves in physical ways because we see them in the scriptures, like when they pop up on Easter morning and they, the angel who swats the rock out of the way in the tomb and sits on it, so he's seen. But they're not usually visible. They are spiritual. And they are frightening. Now we often see it, like Valentine's Day or whatever, it's portrayed as, as maybe a little flying baby. But to be sure, a flying baby would also be frightening in its own way. But... But the angels are frightening because the first thing they always say is do not be afraid. So I don't, I don't walk into my living room and have to say do not be afraid, right? Hopefully. So they have to say it because their, their mere presence causes fear. They're, they're big soldiers typically, they're carrying swords, they're winged. Now they, they do manifest themselves again in, in other ways, but typically frightening figures. They're holy. So today we call Michael Saint Michael uh, because we call Saint simply means holy. So Michael is holy. The angels are holy, but not all angels because some, as our scriptures uh, this day uh, read, was some, some have fallen from holiness, specifically Satan and his demons. The primary task of the angels is to be messengers. Angel, if you were to translate angel to today's like common language, you could say mailman. Angels are God's mailmen, taking the messages of God and delivering them to his people. And with that in mind, especially this day, we don't want the, the, our focus on the messengers themselves to outweigh the message that they carry, because that would go against what the messengers themselves want us to do. So we want to focus in on, on the message and who, and who those angels are are serving. Now these angel messengers, they're, they're usually not named, but there are two angels that are named in the scriptures. First, the angel Gabriel, and we, we think about him as being the one to re reveal the good news to Mary and uh, about the, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus. So Gabriel, and then also Michael, the archangel, this, this military general of angels who is given the wonderful task of casting Satan out of heaven, both in our reading from Daniel and Revelation today. And today's reading from Revelation gives this, this snapshot, this picture of a great war taking place in heaven between 
the Lord's angels on one side and the devil and the other fallen angels on the other side. As the text says, the great dragon, the devil, has been conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is, by the death of our Lord Jesus on the cross and by the preaching of that word of gospel, the devil was and continues to be overcome. But like a two-year-old who didn't get his way, the devil continues to throw a fit. As the text says, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. The devil has been conquered, yet continues to roam on this earth as a prowling, hungry lion with one thing in mind, to destroy the Lord's church, that is, you and me and our children. Simply put, the devil hates you. Our earthly physical enemies come and go. They get distracted by their own lives. They have to sleep on occasion, and they have other enemies to fight. But unlike those earthly enemies, the devil has no other priority. He has no mouths to feed, no money to make, and he doesn't sleep. His only goal is to bring wrath to what the Lord Jesus loves most, his bride, the church. So it's no surprise that we engage with sin and shame quite often in our lives, both committed by us and done to us. The devil keeps using that same tactic he used on Adam and Eve, deceiving us towards sin. As our hymn put it, making forbidden fruit look sweet. He tries to convince us that God is holding out on us, trying to kill our fun. God's the ultimate buzzkill, or that true happiness will be found in whatever fruit the devil is waving in front of us, even though it specifically might contradict what God has said about that fruit. And we fall all the time, giving in to lust, greed, anger, letting hate control us, letting the idol of money rule over us, and refusing to forgive. Like it was for Adam and Eve, the sinful fruit never delivers that true happiness that it promises, but only leaves us enslaved in guilt and shame. And the devil smiles at that. The thing is, he knows that our sin actually hurts us. And it hurts others. It robs us of joy in this life. And it keeps us from enjoying all the Lord's gifts that he so richly gives us in this world. So that evil dragon brings his temptations to drive us to sin, that we would continue to wallow in misery. Now we see the attack of that wicked foe in our families as spouses refuse to see one another as gifts, refuse to forgive as they should, and refuse to love and honor one another as they have vowed. We see his attack when children are led away from the Lord's gifts and are brought into despair and hopelessness. We see his attack in the Lord's church itself when we refuse to forgive others 
when we speak evil of one another in the conversations of darkness or holding on to past sins instead of encouraging one another, and when we despise the Lord's word and the gifts that he so richly gives us in this place, in all of that, the demons are swarming. Of course, we're gonna find sin in the church. It's where Jesus calls sinners together to forgive them. And as Luther said, wherever the Lord puts his church, the devil pitches his tent, robbing us of peace and joy in the very place where the Lord is giving us peace and joy. It's no surprise either that the word of God itself is under great attack as the reliability of the word is undermined with doubts so that the confusion is brought to that which is good and wrong. Confusion is brought to right and wrong where evil is called good and good is called evil. The devil knows that if we're not clear about our sin, then we're also not going to be clear about our need for a savior. Then he goes on to attack the gospel itself, adding works to the cross so that we're pointed back to ourselves for certainty of forgiveness and salvation. We're pointed to our feelings, to our actions, even pointed to our own repentance as evidence of our salvation. The thing is though, if anything is added to Jesus, then true comfort is ripped away. And the greatest attack of all is the accusation that the devil brings into our conscience. That place where we evaluate good and evil and we contemplate how it is that we stand before God. And we tend to maybe think that the greatest threat that the devil brings is something physical, because the worst things we can imagine are hurting in our bodies. So we're often thinking the devil is trying to bring physical harm and the angels are preventing physical harm. But that's not the greatest damage. Because as we know, God can even work through physical harm to bring about good. The greatest damage done by the devil is in our conscience. Because remember, Satan, the name Satan means accuser. And so he accuses of sin and shame. He has us doubting God's love for us. Look at your life says the devil, how could God love a sinner like you? All that suffering and hardship that you face, is it not evidence that God hates you? The devil even wants us to be harmed physically so that when we hurt and as we suffer, the devil can come and accuse us that we are suffering because we didn't love God enough or that God doesn't love us enough. If God really loved you, why would he allow such suffering, says the devil, in your conscience? The devil wants us in fear of God and despairing, especially in the face of suffering and at the time of death. He wants us following the passions of the flesh promising us that if we indulge our sins, that things will go better for us, just as he first lied to Eve in the garden, so that then, after we fall, Satan can bring his accusation into our conscience. So again, in short, the devil hates you, and he'll stop at nothing to turn you 
from the merciful voice of Jesus and bring you to despair. But we rejoice this day that the Lord doesn't leave us alone to fend for ourselves in the face of such a fierce attack. He has put his name upon us, and where he puts his name, he promises to be always. So he's named you in holy baptism and surrounds you with his angels. As we pray in Luther's morning and evening prayers, let your holy angel be with me that the evil foe may have no power over me. So as we recall, angel means messenger. And so the primary work of the angels is to bring the message of the gospel into our conscience. The angels continue fighting against the devil and his demons day to day on the battlefield of your conscience. The weapons of the demons in that war are not swords and spears, but it's the accusation against us that we are left alone, that we have been cut off from Christ and that God doesn't love us. The angels fight back with a greater weapon, a promise that Jesus has only died for sinners, that he loves sinners like you and me, that he came to seek and save the lost, that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who has died in our place. And so we rejoice in the work of the angels, praying that they would surround us with a merciful gospel of Jesus, especially when the demons bring their attack to our conscience, that we would be reminded of the promises of our Lord Jesus, that we would not despair, but cling to the promise he has made to us in holy baptism, that we'd fix our eyes not on our lives for certainty of our salvation and faith, but on the cross of Jesus, where we know that God loves us because Jesus has died. We give thanks that whenever the gospel is proclaimed to sinners like us, and whenever sinners are reconciled to one another and to the Father and the proclamation of sins forgiven, we know the angels are at work there. Whenever a Christian resists the lies of the devil that try to tempt him or is turned from sin in repentance, we know that the angels are there. And we know that the angels are rejoicing both here and in heaven. When a Christian is reminded of her baptism, where God has put his holy name upon her and joined her to his resurrection, the angels are working. Whenever Christians forgive one another as they have been forgiven by their Lord, the angels rejoice. And when the Lord brings his body and blood to sinners for the forgiveness of their sins, we sing along with angels, archangels, and all the company of heaven. And that same blood that conquers Satan is put into our mouths. At all this, the demons flee. And when our last hour comes, we pray that the angels would escort us into our heavenly home, along with all the saints who have come before us to await the resurrection on the last day. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.